our story begins with disappointment. Begins with, with disappointment, just as our tendency is to want to look like everyone else. The kingdom of Israel was the same. They were to be set apart, to be, to be set apart with a unique relationship with the Lord as their king. And, but they wanted to be like every other nation of people. They wanted a human king. And the Lord, through the prophet Samuel, tried to warn Israel. It's not going to look like you think that it will. It's not going to, to go the way you think that it should. It's going to be a disaster. What happens when we warn our children of those same things? What happens when our parents gave us, issued us those same warnings? Saul would become Israel's first human king. And, and Saul, he was at the start a, a pretty impressive figure. He looked the part. But there was more than meets the eye. And in most things, I suspect, there's often more going on than we realize. It's often not what we see at first. Saul became king, and, and as we find out in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul's reign is pretty much a train wreck. Um, Saul's reign as king was pretty much a dumpster fire of year 2020 proportions. The prophet Samuel has tried to guide King Saul time and time again, but there comes a point, a point of no return for Saul and, and his reign. And, and this morning we will be in Micah, but I need to set up Micah with, with a few verses from 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord says to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. Jesse from Bethlehem. Because I have chosen a king for myself among his sons. Uh, this man named Jesse from a backwater insignificant town named Bethlehem. Samuel tells the Lord, well, how can I go? When Saul hears about this, he will kill me. But the Lord tells Samuel, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me. You shall set one apart for me, the one whom I designate to you, and this one will be the king. So Samuel did what the Lord told him, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city, they, they come trembling to meet Samuel. And they say, do you come in peace? Well, why were they trembling? Well, you, we've got to remember that, that Samuel is a prophet, and, and prophets are the mouthpieces for the Lord. Maybe he's bringing a word of judgment. So Samuel says this. He says, I come in peace. And I come to sacrifice to the Lord. So he tells the elders, he says, Consecrate yourselves and, and, and come with me to the sacrifice. And Samuel also consecrates Jesse and his sons and invites them to the sacrifice. And they enter in, and Samuel, he looks at the first of Jesse's sons. 
Eliab, and he, and, he, and he thinks to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him because Eliab must visually be all that. But the Lord says to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Whoa. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Let me read that again because that really frames everything here today. God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's not what we see. Jesse calls the next son Abinadab, and he has him pass before Samuel. But Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse has another son pass by Samuel. This is Shema, and Samuel says, the Lord has not chosen this one either. So Jesse has seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Seven. Samuel replies to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel says to Jesse, are these all the boys? And Jesse says, well, the youngest is still left, but behold, he's, he's out tending the sheep. There's one more, and, and evidently so insignificant that even father dear doesn't bother bringing him in from the field. Samuel says to Jesse, send word and bring him, for we will not take our places at the table until he comes here. So Jesse sends word brings him in, and David enters, and David is reddish. Some of your translations would say ruddy. He, he's got beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. He is quite a young man. The Lord says, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Samuel takes the horn of oil and anoints David in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushes in upon David from that day forward. This is not what Jesse saw. This is not really what the prophet Samuel saw either. And we know the story. David, the young boy, a musician, plays for King Saul. David goes out and kills Goliath. David becomes a mighty warrior, uh, mighty to the point where Saul becomes... Envious, jealous, angry, paranoid, and he wants to hunt David down. And we know the story. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, we, we see that David, he's 30 years old when he becomes king. Anointed much earlier, but he becomes king and he reigns 40 years. David conquers Jerusalem. This little boy from Bethlehem, he, he defeats the Philistines. David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 7, King David settles in his palace because the Lord has given him rest from all his enemies around him. And David says to Nathan his prophet, he says, Here I am living in this house of cedar, this palace, this, this beautiful place, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replies to David, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. 
But that night, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan the prophet. And the Lord tells Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord says. Are you, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. And wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Why have you not built me a palace? No. The Lord tells Nathan, he says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. Do you remember? From tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Ooh, that sounds wonderful. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wow, this, this is not what David saw, was it? David wanted to build the Lord a house, a temple, which is not a bad thing. But the Lord had something better in mind. The Lord is going to build a house for David. He will raise up Solomon, David's son, to build the Lord's temple... And the Lord will establish the line of Israelite kingship first under David, then Solomon, and then on down the line. And the Lord will establish a royal bloodline and kingdom throne forever. Time will move forward. Years later, David's kingdom has split in two. Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. Why are there family divisions? Well, families don't always get along, do they? (laughs) Sin is rampant in the land. God has raised up prophets to cry out in judgment against His people. Why? Well, God's desire and plan has always been to dwell with man. And and the Lord wants to bring His people back, back to Him. That's still the plan of the Lord to this day, to dwell with His people. And as is our nature... Man continues to fight against God. The Lord's prophets speak out against injustices in the land, immorality in the land, and and these prophets, they bring messages of both judgment and redemption, and the Lord wants them restored. But to do that, His people have to confess their sin. We have to confess our sin. And we, we can't forget... The Lord's promise to David's throne still stands. 
eight centuries before the birth of Jesus, we see this prophet Micah who would bring this reminder of of God's promise in his message of the Lord's coming judgment on Jerusalem. Micah chapter 5 verse 2, we read, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that that word means place of bread or house of bread. Ephrathah, that is a word which means fruitfulness. So, So house of bread, fruitfulness, there's a certain image here. One is going to come forth to have dominion. Who came from Bethlehem? Years and years earlier, Jesse from Bethlehem. Jesse's youngest son, David, from Bethlehem. David, one thought to be at first too insignificant to be in the family lineup for Samuel to meet. And in the same way with Bethlehem. Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. One will come from this area thought to be too little, thought to be too insignificant. And Micah will tell us in in verse 4 that he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. He will stand, he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, mighty God, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, in the excellence of his reputation of Yahweh. The Son will stand in the strength of the Father. Which is hard to wrap our heads around because we we do not understand in full the mystery of the Trinity, how the Son stands in the strength of the Father. And then Micah says that his people will remain. That means to, to, to dwell securely. To dwell securely. And that this one will be great to the ends of the earth. Psalm 2, we're able to read in Psalm 2, verse 8, where the Father tells the Son, I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. The ends of the earth, the one will be great. Verse 5, Micah chapter 5, verse 5. This one will be our peace. Shalom. Soundness, welfare, peace, completeness. This this one will be our completeness. And at the end of the day, isn't that really what we're all looking for? Completeness. Something, someone in whom we can find rest and peace. That's always been our goal, to find peace and fulfillment. But our nature has always been and will always be to try to find utmost satisfaction in ourselves or in our interests or in our things. 
The challenge is, this is not what we see. This is not what we have in mind. And, and we read in the scripture, is this David? David's been long dead. But we see these words from long ago till eternity. Hmm. Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, we read this. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Wow. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. This peace which we just saw in Micah, we see here in Isaiah. The rule and the reign of the Prince of Peace will continue to increase. There will be no end. And on the throne of David <laughs> and over his kingdom. And we just saw what the Lord told David. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. How does it sound to have the opportunity to find rest, to, to find peace in something or someone. To find rest from our longings. To, to find rest and satisfaction from our hunger. To, to find satisfaction in, in the midst of the frustration of our great unmet expectations of life. Rest, rest with no end of increase. This completeness won't ever stop. It will only increase. It will only get better. Peace which never ends. Completeness that is well complete. <laughs> Found in one who sits on his throne forever. And this throne will be established by the Lord and undergirded with the foundations of, of justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. When we, when we think of justice and righteousness, what comes to mind? Righting wrongs. Making things right. And this one will come to set things right. Why? Because of our nature. Again, because of us. We have this chronic and terminal problem of wanting our own way. And, and this one to come <laughs> will come and set things right by dealing with our sin. God's desire and plan, as I've told you before, has always been to dwell with man. Has always been to dwell with man. He wants to bring his people back to him. And the Father has sent the Son to do this very thing. 
In Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah tells us of this one to come. He says, For he, the Son, grew up before him, the Father, like a tender shoot. Isaiah actually tells us in chapter 11 that this tender shoot is from the branch of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. This tender shoot, Isaiah says, is like a root out of dry ground. Dry ground, barren, isolated, not what we see as a place of significance. Kind of like a small backwater town like Bethlehem. Isaiah says, this one has no stately form or or majesty... Well, that's unlike David. We saw that David had beautiful eyes and was handsome. Isaiah says this one has no stately form that we would look at him nor an appearance that we would take pleasure in him. He was despised. He was abandoned by men. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness. We had no regard for him. We don't see this one as significant. But then Isaiah says, however, it was our sicknesses that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God and humiliated, but he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. He was crushed. And the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned, has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of us all to fall on him. Again, <laughs> God's desire and plan has always been to dwell with man. He wants to bring his people back to him. And Isaiah says that the punishment for our well-being was laid upon him. The justice for our sins was served by the payment of the sin debt which only the son could pay because of his righteousness. And God the Father has sent God the Son to do this very thing, causing the wrongdoing of us all to fall on God himself. And it's hard to believe because it's beyond what we can see. You know, it's appropriate that we have Lord's Supper this morning. In a moment, we will share in, in, the, we will share in the wafer and, and the cup which is a symbol of the bread and the wine shared in the Last Supper between Jesus and the disciples. Jesus, another who had been a little boy from Bethlehem, would grow up and would would tell his disciples about the sacrifice he would become for the payment of the sin debt of not just those men sitting around the table but for all who would believe. 
Jesus would take the bread and break it to symbolize his death on the cross. And the disciples sitting around him might remember what Jesus said early in his ministry. Early in their days together in John chapter 6, we read this. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world also is my flesh. Jesus born in Bethlehem. Do you remember what Bethlehem means? House of bread. Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus, the one who has been promised to bring peace. Fulfillment. Satisfaction. Completeness. All of these things would take place so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. God's word is true. We can trust his word. And we can trust him.